0: Before we get started, we saw an amazing response to our recent request for speakers, three of whom feature in this episode. So we're keeping it going with a mini-series called Spotlight, 10-minute episodes featuring stars of the sector. We have a couple recorded already, and if you'd like to feature, get in touch by email or through the website, domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight. Meanwhile, here's Andy, Claire and Louise discussing how COVID has affected them. We talk redundancy, keeping the sector a secret... In the seven stages of furlough. Welcome to season four of the Do More Good podcast.
1: You're listening to the Do More Good podcast.
2: The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do
1: good, do more. Do more
0: good, do more good podcast. Do
2: more good podcast. That's what you
0: want me to
3: say. Okay, You're listening to the Do More Good podcast.
0: live from a cafe in central london this is your 14th favorite social good show the do more good podcast always room for improvement jimbo
4: here we are james episode number 59 the do more good podcasts
0: how are you doing i'm good kenneth i spent this weekend introduced my kids to the delights of the london 2012 highlights it was wow. all over the BBC. So I know that you did this before, didn't you? You watched it all, at the, maybe at the beginning of lockdown. Yeah, that was um, right yeah. at the start. But yeah, how did they, did they enjoy it? They absolutely loved it. They, they particularly enjoyed a bit of Super Saturday action. And oh, it was so good. Yeah,
4: it was, it was a so real highlight, good. wasn't it? You forget how good it was when you watch it back. I remember, yeah, we were all buzzing watching it again, which was
0: great. Yeah, Yeah, I remember being told off on that Saturday night because I was screaming at Mo on the TV and being told off to, for waking up the kids. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing night, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was amazing. So we're, we're, we're back for a little bit of a, an episode that's come out a bit of left field, really. Yeah. all started with a bit, a bit of a brief, as we do, a, a brief rendezvous on, on WhatsApp late at night, one evening, with a bit of an idea, and here we are about to put
0: out an episode. You certainly captured the mood of the sector with that tweet.
4: Well I think we discussed it uh, and we've discussed it on this podcast and and, uh, generally this episode is is a bit about the story of people within the sector who are currently furloughed or have been made redundant already or have really been impacted by COVID-19 and I think as we've touched on in, in, in past episodes there isn't a day go by where Recently, and we're now in kind of mid to late July, where you don't see an announcement from a charity talking about how that £12 billion is what the figures that have been thrown around. How that deficit is, is affecting not only their ability to deliver services, but obviously their ability to fundraise and their ability to have significant fundraising teams. So unfortunately, redundancies are starting to, starting to really bite.
0: It's beginning but to kick in, isn't
4: it? It is. What we need to do in this and, and this this shouldn't be a, a, a negative episode by any means. We wanna we wanna make this a positive experience. But anyway, the backstory is that we put out a tweet saying, look, if anyone's in this situation and they wanna come on for a few minutes and talk to us about where they are, what you know, their background in fundraising, their current situation and, and what their hopes are for the future, then to get in touch with us. And we got we got an amazing amount of people that were very honest. I can imagine being on the other side of the fence, it would be Potentially quite a difficult thing to put yourself forward for but you know we've got three great guests lined up who we spent a bit of time with over the last week just recording a bit of a conversation with them about their situation and we really hope that people that maybe are on furlough find it useful to hear others in their situation maybe there's someone who's recruiting in their team and you know one of the guests um, sounds interesting and you wouldn't mind getting in touch but I think What is great about this sector is everybody does pull together and try and support each other and I guess that's really what we wanted to to get out of this, right James?
0: Absolutely, absolutely and there's a little game for people at home, see if you could spot the person that didn't realise we were going to be recording when we invited them to a chat.
4: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly, one of the guests did turn up not, not fully prepared to be recorded but they did a great job, so yeah let's jump into it. Cool. So, James, we're, we're joined by Andrew Nakonechny. I've managed to nail his name in one, which is good. Andrew, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. How, how are you
1: doing, firstly? I'm good. I'm very good. Yeah, all things considered, the world's ending and, you know, global pandemics and that. I think we're, we're borrowing my neighbour's dog this afternoon, and I think that'll be the fifth time I've left the flat in, what are we on now, four months, five <laughs> months, however long it's been. So I'm about to move on to the, the second hand of counting uh, how many times I've left. But, yeah, no, I'm very good. Thanks.
4: Good, good. Well Andrew, thanks for thanks for getting in, in touch with us. Just tell us a bit bit about yourself and, and about your background in fundraising.
1: Yeah, of course. So I finished university two thousand two. I finished on a Friday and on the Monday I started as a face to face fundraiser. And that was Almost. What are we in now? July? Yeah, pretty much 18 years to the day. And in that time, I've never been out of fundraising for a day. Been straight from one job to another. Did a couple of years as a face-to-face fundraiser, which was an incredible grounding and really set me up for the remaining 16 years that I've worked in the sector. And started my first professional role working directly for a charity. was a regional fundraising job, doing sort of community, regional corporate, and kind of built from there. Made the move to London probably 12 years ago. I think I'd exhausted all of the South Wales charities and moved around a few by that point and decided to make the big move up to the capital and then worked in a variety of roles since then, did a few years as a consultant and for the last five years I've been head of fundraising at a development charity. We've spoken to people
0: before who have said that face-to-face fundraisers often turn out to be the best fundraisers. I'm guessing you're going to agree I'll
1: I'll agree with that. (laughs) I think when I started, the agency I worked for was Face-to-Face Fundraising Limited. I think I was the first, I believe, at the time that went from the company to work directly for a charity. But I think as as time's gone on, um, I was looking at some of the stats this morning in in, in preparation for our catch-up and looking at the numbers of people employed in fundraising and in the sector. And there's been steady growth in the last four years in the number of people that were employed by charities. And I can only assume that says... It's become more well-known as a profession. It's it's certainly professionalised in the time that I've been in the sector. Uh, You know, the IOF uh, uh, are going for new chartered status. So I think it's probably more common now. But to go back to your question, in terms of the grounding, if you can throw someone on a high street or a shopping centre or outside someone's front door and from completely cold build-up rapport, you know, in the space of five, ten minutes, move to making an ask, that's going to give you a really good grounding for whatever else comes. It's far easier to sit behind a computer, in my opinion, to sit behind a <laughs> computer and write application letters or stand on a stage in front of a thousand people than it is to do a, a one-to-one ask. I try to get my team to uh, consider doing a day on the street or doing direct debit sign-ups and, and they wouldn't budge on it. Yeah, it's a really good grounding, and it's it's great. And in you know whether it's at networking events or forums like fundraising chat on Facebook, when I see other face-to-face fundraisers progress through the sector, I think it's a really really good route in.
4: Yeah, Andy, that makes sense. And I mean, as, as we touched on at the start of this, obviously COVID nineteen is, is is pretty much decimated the the charity sector. I was just talking this morning around ten billion pounds plus some of the figures. I've I've even seen them as high as twelve billion about what the sector is going to miss out on this year in terms of funds being raised. And obviously that's impacting people's jobs. And obviously it's impacted yourself, Andy, in terms of your role. Do you mind giving us an overview of your situation and and
1: where you find yourself in? Yeah, of course. I'll try and uh, uh, keep this as professional as possible. So (laughs) in about a month's time, I'll have hit five years in uh, my current role, different iterations of it, or certainly for my my current organisation. I vividly remember... The week before lockdown started, uh, the whole team was called into the office. It was announced that the, the London office was going to close and we were all going to work from home. And that was broadly applauded. I'd been sort of the crazy guy in the corner waving my, my, my COVID flag, probably from just before Christmas. And all of a sudden, it very quickly became reality. And I think that was the the moment our team realised this is something a little bit different. The office is is being shut down and, and you know, we're all going to work from home quickly got set up on Microsoft Teams and you know we we sort of made it for a few weeks and then not long after that the the conversation started around budgets and uh, income projections the same with a lot of a lot of charities a lot of our income came from events a lot from running and challenge The organisation I worked for, we're now 12 years old as an organisation. so quite a young demographic, particularly for a development charity. And so a lot of our engagement and income came from events running and challenge, that kind of thing. Uh, And it was pretty obvious it was going to be a a tough summer. We had a couple of weeks of consultation. Everyone was given the opportunity to feed in thoughts and ideas. And then pretty swiftly, um, the announcement came round to... Two thirds close to three quarters of the fundraising team that we were going to be starting the redundancy process. The interesting thing for us was that we were put straight towards redundancy before the furlough conversations and then within a week of that starting, I think it was it was announced about the furlough scheme, and then so all of us moved on to furlough i think I think they 've kept four, maybe five of the fundraising team uh, working from home, and the rest of us mainly corporate running a challenge events some individual giving um, have all been furloughed since and then as I alluded to earlier two three weeks ago we, we've had regular-ish contact although not as much as, uh, uh, as I've seen some have had but we've had the kind of formal updates and then a few weeks ago uh, the redundancy process will start again in August from the conversations we've had and, and between each other I think the expectation is all, but maybe one or two will will be leaving the organisation. For us, you're talking about yeah, two thirds of the fundraising team plus a colleague in finance um, will be out of the organisation. Wow!
4: And you touched on the at the start, Andrew, before we was before we got started talking about the impact that this will have. I mean, you you yourself, you've been around the industry for a long while. You've got some good experience, you know, transferable skills. But those people that are just starting out in their career, would you mind just just
1: Alluding to a little bit more on that? Yeah, of course. We've all seen the figures. The first real big figure I saw was the, the announcement of 20,000 fundraisers furloughed from the large charities. Now, I don't know what the total figure is, but that alone was a real eye-opener. I think there's a, a few factors that are going to make securing or staying in jobs or even moving into the sector quite tough. I'm waiting to see how many people are going to be taken back into jobs. The current rate at the moment, I think it's four in a in, in 1,000 jobs Were made redundant from March through to May. I'm fully expecting the next quarter to have a huge spike as the furlough scheme comes comes to an end. So at the moment it seems quite low, but I I can only see that going up significantly. How that will transfer to the sector, I don't know. I would like to think the article that was posted on fundraising.co.uk about the importance of of all the roles, you know, sticking by your fundraisers because they're the engine room, and that's you know, if you have to cut back on the program stuff short term. That's the key long-term strategy. And I thought that article was, was, was really, really on point. But I think it's, it, we're yet to see if that's going to play through. My concern for new fundraisers, old fundraisers, medium-term fundraisers, there's going to be less jobs. I don't know uh, what your view is to the B word on this show, but you know Brexit's coming and we, we were very wary of impact on projected income as a result of that. You add in the COVID stuff over the last few months – And then particularly for fundraisers like myself, I think the international development side is going to be hit massively. If it's just been swallowed up, we've been told that the 0.7% GDP enshrined in law is is going to be secure. But we know the way that that money for international charities is is going to be divvied up, is is going to be siphoned off to other avenues, shall we say. And then you put on top of that, the GDP is going to be significantly hit. The value of that 0.7% is going to be down anyway. So I think for for fundraisers in international, I can only see there being significantly less jobs. The flip side of that, that you know, there, there's been a huge move towards community-based startups and peer-to-peer stuff. So you may well see a growth in more more local organisations. I've got no doubt there'll be greater need. If you, if you look at the the percentages that the British public have donated to charity over the last fifty years, I, I don't think it moves within a one percent. So we would hope that would would maintain and and it's also done to charities it's it's an opportunity like every other sector it's an opportunity to evolve and develop the other factor that only dawned on me last week a very good friend of mine that I used to work with head of comms dropped me a note and said "Would I would I have a chat with a friend of hers she was in the middle of uh, applying for a role and I said yeah of course I will it was a head of fundraising and comms role and she was moving in from completely outside the sector and as much as as fundraisers as charity professionals We've had a long time to kind of get a headspace and, and and think about our roles, our careers, our organizations. I also think there's going to be a swathe of new people who, uh, after having a break from their corporate jobs, will be thinking, you know what, I, I, there's more to life. I want to do something a bit more worthwhile. For the charities that are still able to operate, that can only be a good thing. There's going to be higher quality of candidates. But for those people who've been committed to the sector for Five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know, there may be some tough few months ahead. But I don't think our sector is unique in that.
0: Andy, you're clearly very well informed on the situation at the moment. All you've been doing is
1: nothing to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Outside the stats, how, how do you feel about this? I mean, you've had near, nearly 20 years in the sector. You're saying maybe you're considering moving elsewhere. That must be tough. That's got to be diff- i mean, also scary. You know, it's, a, it's a different sector you might be looking at.
1: All of the above, I've swayed from left to right on that meter over the last four months. I think to an extent it's going to be driven by the jobs market. What was my my sort of backup plan for a couple of years down the line is probably being brought forward a little. I think it's been driven largely by I, I've always been fortunate in that, as I said earlier, I've never been a day out of work and I've never being in a position where I've had to go for a job. I've always been really fortunate to be able to pick the roles that I wanted to apply for, and to a large extent, the type of charities and the type of organisations I wanted to apply for. And I think that's been key in getting the best out of me in my role because I've deeply cared about the cause of the organisation. At the moment, uh, there seems to be less jobs, a little, but I, my gut feel is there's way more people going from that for them, so it's completely skewed. I put in an application a couple of weeks ago for for a job that the organisation really excited me. I won't name them, but we're doing some really exciting, innovative work with youth in the UK. And a job that any other time I'd have thought, I'm in with a good chance for this, or certainly getting an interview. And I'd had conversations with the recruiting director in advance, and she was fantastic. Really clear vision. I felt my skill set would have fitted in perfectly. um, And didn't get an interview for it. And that was two weeks ago that was the real moment of thinking this could be a tough few months and I haven't written it off entirely I'm staying in the sector but I would want it to be the right role in the right organization. Early on in my career you know there were definitely times where I jumped to jobs because it was an opportunity for a bit more pay or whatever I certainly never regretted that. I think for, for newer fundraisers I, I think probably they need to keep their their horizons as broad as possible and of course you, you know you want to work for causes that you completely believe in but I don't know of anyone that works for charity that doesn't believe in what they do. I think in terms of my own situation, there's been so much talk whether, you know, it's, it's been conversations with friends and family or inspirational stories you see on whether it's Instagram or whatever, people going, you know what, uh, it, it, now is the time, you've got four or five months, you've got your, your furlough time, if you're ever going to make that change, now is, now is the best opportunity you're ever going to have to do it. And I think to keep me sane and, 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 and to stay positive and focused on what's coming next, I think if I focus on the turn down applications or the lack of opportunities, rather than what could be doing something that, if I'm being entirely honest, for, for the first time in my career, feels a little bit more like I'm doing something more for me, rather than thinking about the organisation. And I, I think particularly for me, the organisation that I work for, as I said, is 12 years old. I've been there for the last five of them. And it's it's it felt like what I, what I project is going to be the organisation that's left at the end of this is going to be the organisation it probably was five years ago. And it feels like it's been five years of building and growing a team and investing in people has kind of been torn out from, from under all of us. And that, that still hurts quite a lot. I probably put more of myself into this role than any other one. I think unless the, not perfect, but a really good fit role and organisation came up now, I think I need to take myself off and and, and do something a little bit different and, and maybe just have a bit of breathing space for a period of time.
4: Yeah, Andy, I think you you summed it up well. I, I think you know you touched on how this this sector is appealing to those outside, and I think you're right in the fact that we'll see more people trying to get in, but we don't want to shout too loudly about how great this sector is because we want those <laughs> we want those people to 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 stay away. Thank you for being so honest. Hearing you speak, it, it sounds like you're obviously a very inspired and passionate leader, and we wish you lots of luck. In whatever comes next, I'm sure you'll add value to to whether it's in the charity sector. Hopefully, we can find can find your next role here, or or whether it's in the private sector. Andy, if anyone wants to reach out for you or is interested in hearing more or whatever, where can they find you?
1: I should say uh, uh, very briefly because I know you're going to wrap this up. But you know the the reason I stayed in the sector as long as I, I have. And the reason I've got so much out of it is genuinely the community, and it's the other fundraisers. Um, I've never seen any other sector that's so supportive. So if anyone wants, I'm more than happy to review CVs as I've spent the last four months doing. Or if anyone wants a chat, the easiest way is um, probably LinkedIn. Have a look for Andy Nak, uh, N-A-K. You should find me, or uh, on Twitter, search for the Fundraising Lab. But um, be more than happy to to support, um, particularly for younger uh, and newer fundraisers if they want to bounce some ideas around they'd, they'd be more than welcome um and just to thank both of you as well for for the platform i i think it's um a timely and fantastic uh, opportunity for for fundraisers to be able to to kind of have their say very, very welcome. welcome enjoy yeah. the dog walk yeah <laughs> thanks very
4: much <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll wrap it up there andy good bet all, all all the best and, and good luck and thanks for coming on
1: well absolute pleasure thanks very much both take care i look forward to hearing it cheers guys all the best
0: So whilst Kenneth is off getting the drinks in I'll just remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod or take a look at the website domoregood.uk which is where you can sign up for the Do More Good newsletter a reminder about new episodes news on our latest plans and perhaps some VIP content. Now, I'm a big fan of the like whereas Kenneth is more of a retweet kind of guy. Either way, we'd love to hear from you with thoughts, suggestions, reviews or just to let us know you got home okay. Anyway, He's on his way back now.
4: Okay so we're joined by another guest. We've got Claire Hanley who's joined us. Claire how are you doing?
2: Yeah I'm good thank you. Thanks for having me.
4: No worries. Thank you for reaching out and getting in touch with us. As we were just talking about before we hit record we were really surprised actually by how many people have got in touch but I think as we've all seen redundancies and Covid and and the impact on the sector has, has been really widespread. But What's your background, Claire? So tell us a bit about about yourself.
2: So yeah, I've been at Bernardo's, a children's charity, for over four years now. I started off in sort of supporter care and being sort of first point of contact for the organisation, which was great and gave me a good sort of start off for my journey into the charity sector. And then I started getting a bit more involved and really wanted to be a bit more hands-on in a role and, and went into community fundraising. So it was really quite varied. I sort of supported on challenge events and special events as well in that role. Started um, building up our social media presence, supporting on uh, mailings and marketing campaigns. It was really quite an an all-rounder role. So I've had quite a a variety of experience in different areas um, leading up to sort of now being an events fundraising. So I'm really sort of making my way through uh, all the different areas in fundraising. So now I primarily work mostly in events, sports events mostly. So sort of managing a a variety of events in our portfolio, from uh, RIDE London to UK Adventures overseas. So yeah, I I actually, I really love it, to be honest. I'm quite sporty myself, so it's, it's the perfect role for me, really.
0: And did you go straight into the kind of charity world from uni or school or did you do anything else before that or has it has it kind of charity fundraising always been the dream?
2: (laughs) Well I've always been um I've always sort of volunteered I am a volunteer for crisis I've recently become a volunteer for the cinnamon trust I I was always quite charitable anyway but actually when I came out of uni I went into construction, <laughs> not out of choice, right? <laughs> not out of choice, it was just, um, needed a job just to get my feet on the ground and then had that base to start hopefully getting into charity, so that's where it sort of started really.
4: Well, that's, that's, we haven't had anyone who's been in construction first, but you know, it's amazing when you speak to fundraisers and hear everyone's got different backgrounds and, and different stories into the sector. And what's your current situation, Claire? So you just mentioned earlier before we started recording that you're on furlough at the moment. How, how's, how's furlough been for you?
2: Yeah, Um. so I went on furlough um, mid-May. So it was actually a little bit late, but I guess after 2.6 challenge, um, which a lot of charities would have been involved in, and a lot of my events were the ones that were most affected by the pandemic. It was the overseas treks, UK ventures, all the runs all being cancelled. So it was... It was myself and in, in my team that was the only person that was actually furloughed. And I've, I have found it really difficult, actually. I've, it, it's harder where it's so uncertain and I still haven't really got an end date. So it's, it's hard to sort of look towards something that's so unknown. So I'm sort of trying to prepare myself for what, what might be to come. Not saying that it will come, but you just, you just don't know. It's, it's really hard being on furlough. But there's been a, a really great community of furloughed fundraisers especially I know there's been a I've been part of a furloughed fundraiser chat which someone I believe from uh, Make-A-Wish started which has been great and loads of learning resources webinars opportunities to volunteer for charities there's been a lot of support out there for quite a difficult time.
0: And what about support internally because I know it it is quite difficult to stay in touch with furloughed team members um, because you can't talk to them about work you must not update them on anything that is going on in the office but um certainly i've been trying to give kind of headlines from what we've been we've been getting on with have you have you had that have you had kind of communications with managers etc
2: yes my team has been great and um, my manager i speak to her every week and um, we have a catch-up generally to see how things are going i update about what i've been doing yeah, so I have regular catch ups with my manager from an organisation point of view. I haven't had that many updates, but in terms of keeping in touch with my team, it's been quite regular, which I really appreciate.
4: And you've touched on some of the, the resources, Claire, and there seems to be quite a, a lot of it out there at the moment about people taking this time. If they have been furloughed to kind of, as you say, think about what maybe the next step will be, but focus on that kind of on themselves and and on personal development uh, and can you just run through any of the things that you've you've discovered about yourself during this time
2: um i've discovered well i kind of knew it already but i'm not very good at doing nothing i i struggle <laughs> sitting still i struggle not having a plan to do with my day so when it was sort of the the height of lockdown I, I really struggled just being indoors and not doing anything work when we went into lockdown was my saving grace i felt lost without it and i'm having that structure. I don't know. Everyone's different, aren't they? Everyone approaches furlough different. Um, I I took the opportunity to learn, do as many webinars as I could. I've been doing volunteering for projects and um, other charities. But I mean, that's that's just me. Just because I I, I want to keep busy and I feel like you, I want to keep keep my brain activated as well.
0: Work is more than just what we do nine to five you don't get into charity just you know to make to make fortunes from uh, your fundraising career do you it's it's more about the kind of person that you are and kind of an extension of your personality that work and I can completely sympathize that having that taken away is really it's really difficult that that is a part of you that you're not able to to do even although obviously you've stepped up and, and done some volunteering there
2: yeah, I don't know how to describe it, really. I still try and keep in touch with work and what's going on in the sector and what what's happening with my events. Like, I want to know what's going on. It's tricky when, obviously, with Ride London, for example, it was recently announced about the new virtual event and that was my event and it's hard knowing that I can't now finish that. Yeah, it's really hard. So I've, I've personally just been trying to keep busy and keep active and keep my mind motivated, because um, I can imagine when I do eventually go back to work, whether it's for Bernardo's or somewhere else, it's, it's going to be hard to, to adjust to that again.
0: Especially when you're listening to Kenneth Foreman on the radio talking about Ride London yesterday. <laughs> 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 oh, did you pick up that, did you, James? <laughs> oh, the media star that he is.
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, I can completely to say, James, it's obviously a really difficult time. But Claire, you know, looking look to the, look the future... I guess the question from me is this: It feels like from talking to you now that 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 passion in your belly that you see in so many fundraisers that you know they're not doing it, as James said, just for the job and just for the salary. They're doing it because it's something bigger, bigger than them. But what what hopes have you got for the future, Claire? What Where's your mind on that at the moment?
2: I, l- I love events, so would ideally want to stay in that field. Um, but obviously, it's going to be probably one of the main areas in fundraising that's going to struggle in sort of the near future it's hard I mean I feel like I need to be sort of open-minded for new opportunities obviously I've got the experience in community fundraising a bit a bit of corporate as well um, and has sort of crossed over but yeah I'm really hoping that sort of events can sort of adapt over the new times and there will still be that those opportunities there I mean it's such a saturated market but for if physical events can't take place, there needs to be that alternative. So I, I do hope that events will still be there, but I'm, I'm still really open-minded. I mean, my favourite
1: thing about
2: being in fundraising is the relationship. You can build with people, the amazing people you meet, and I'd, I'd really like to be in sort of a a, a like a role where I can still do that.
4: Mm. I think it, the, the skills that, that fundraisers have for building relationships are so transferable to so many mm. other other sectors and i think the way that fundraisers build relationships with that value-based almost core of of the relationship you're both there because you, you both believe in the cause is, is is really valuable and really transferable and it'll be interesting to see how that becomes available outside of this but just on the on the event side claire obviously from my day job away from do more good obviously on the same page as you is is in hoping that events will come back soon and, mm. and get going because i think the experience that they offer to to everybody who takes part is is so unique and especially around a kind of fundraising for a support or goal i mean i'm sure you've been at ride london or london marathon on the day and you know james you and yeah. i have spoke about it for, so it's such a special feeling when you get someone that's that's doing something for a cause they're so passionately about so hoping they come back
2: with some of these uh, participants you follow the journey like over a good year especially with london marathon you really get to know the people. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great feeling when you see them completed it and how much they've raised, the whole journey of it is amazing and that's, hopefully I'll be back to it mm-hmm. soon.
4: Hopefully you will. Well look Claire, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing that with us. We appreciate it. it's a it's a really difficult difficult time for, for you and for for a lot of others and we just wish you all the best for the future. I think coming on here and talking about your experience is a, a great indicator of the type of individual you are. And, you know, hopefully someone hears this and is looking for an opportunity. And if there is anyone who wants to get in touch and maybe they're not on furloughed fundraiser chat or wherever else, are you on social media or is anyone on LinkedIn or anything
2: like that? Yep, I'm on LinkedIn. Literally just Claire Hanley 93. Easy.
4: <laughs> there you go. A great. I
0: think a lot of what you've said there will resonate with, with other furloughed fundraisers at the moment I think everybody is going through those same Mm. feelings and worries and uncertainty so thank you very much. Okay let's wrap it up there Claire
4: thank you so much take care of yourself and uh, yeah good luck for the future I'm sure I'm sure it'll all work out.
2: Oh great thank you both.
4: So we have another guest with us now who's going to talk about her experience through this whole COVID-19 pandemic and, and how it's impacted her, thankful for her giving her time to, to join us today. So welcome Louise, how are you doing?
3: I'm good, thank you. It's a nice sunny day outside so that helps.
4: Yeah, perfect. So Louise, just, just to start off, it'd be great just to hear your background and your, your, your story and, and how you got into fundraising.
3: I've been 15, 15 odd years in fundraising now across two charities. I kind of fell into it actually on a volunteering opportunity uh, back when uh, I was out of university just to build. That's how they get
0: you right <laughs> to get you into volunteer and never let you go
3: it was very much like that yeah it was in a hospice um, in North London and I just wanted to build my CV I wasn't you know I hadn't picked up the phone or used Outlook or any of that before so I went in as a volunteer into the hospice and the role came up and it was just you know kind of a, bit of a natural fit really so I went into admin stayed there a couple of years did dabbled in community fundraising, dabbled in uh, sports and challenges and then found my feet in corporate fundraising and been doing that for the last 13 odd years from the admin side right up to heading up the team and then back into account management and new business which is what I do at the moment.
0: Okay and how have the, how's this year been?
3: <laughs> oh it's been, it's been a challenging one is not it, not gonna lie. Uh, it started off pretty well, not, you know, that was... Good start to the year. As soon as furlough option came in, then my CEO decided that was the best route for us as a, as a core funded charity with very little government funding. We, we had to do everything we could to, to cut the costs. So um, the entire fundraising and marketing team bar some key income generating streams. So the major donor stayed in place, major donor fundraiser and the trusts fundraiser and the rest of us were uh, set adrift for a little while which was uh, in the beginning i found it really it was like seven stages of grief for me i you know it is i'm sure everyone's been through it as well It was almost insulting at the beginning it's like how how dare you not leave me why why do i why am i not good enough to be kept <clears throat> while everyone else is which wasn't the case obviously because there's only two people that were kept but um and then i went through um a bit of sadness about it because i felt you know, sit back and watch this charity that I'd dedicated a third of my life to not be able to help them as they were drowning under under the weight of it all then I found the furlough fundraisers group uh, the chat group on Facebook Nikki and Claire's group and um, it was around the time that I thought okay so how am I going to use this time what am I going to do with it when I realized that everyone else was stacking shelves and there was no opportunity to do that and earn any more money so apart from bringing up my two-year-old I felt you know as fundraisers we can't just sit back we don't just do nothing for four months we have to be doing something quite early on someone made a comment to me that fundraisers are people pleasers and it's true so if you take away those people who are you going to please you've got to please somebody you can't you know it's not the type of people who just please ourselves you know we work for other people that's what we we work for a greater cause that's what we do so it dawned on me probably about three weeks in I was like I was watching this group and people offering up kind of their skills and, and there's lots of talk about volunteering and who could volunteer for each other's charities and bits and pieces like that. And I didn't really want to just give my time to one charity and because it, it because I do new business as well that you know it was going to be quite hard with that morally I wasn't going to be able to jump on new business for another charity. It wasn't going to work. So I had a bit of a light bulb moment because during my maternity leave a couple of years ago I trained in Makaton which is a simplistic sign language used mainly for children and adults with learning difficulties or any kind of communication difficulties. So it's the one that Mr. Tumble uses.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah.
3: So I was like, I can teach people to do this over Zoom. What, what a great idea. I thought a couple of people might be interested. You know, it's a new string to your bow. I think I had 28 people on the first session, Actually very careful because I'm not a tutor so I couldn't say I'm training people to be Makaton able as it were but I could show them some signs so they knew what they were doing and off the back of that came a little video so we all worked together and I taught them all the rainbow song so and then we all wore a different colour and it was we all filmed ourselves and then it was put together by one of the other members it's on LinkedIn and at the end of it, we signed a thank you sign, like a, a, a thank you sentence to our colleagues that were still working, to everyone who was volunteering for other charities and to the NHS as well, which seemed a really good thing to do at the time. And it gave us everybody involved a project to work towards and took them slightly out of their comfort zone because they were filmed, being filmed, doing something they had only just learned to do. We had a couple of sessions with that and then I got asked to moderate the group because of my input and... I then had this whole new focus of something to do, which allowed me to accept the fact that I wasn't working for my charity at this time. And since then, we've done 10 sessions across so many different topics. And it's been really led by the topics of what the members have been, what the chat's been about. So at the beginning, it was about mental health and staying focused. So we did some pieces with different consultants in the industry, the contacts I have through working at the charity I work for. We did quite a lot over Mental Health Awareness Week. Then we started working with some consultants in the industry around what life would be like after furlough, because people were starting to talk about what's it going to be like when we go back and how's it going to be with team members that are still working and are they going to think that we've just been on holiday? And there was a lot of angst about how that was going to work. So we did a session with a few industry professionals around that, and we've just kind of gone on since then. With more recently, it's been around um, the threat of redundancy and job hunting and keeping people together while that happens. So we did we've done a couple with a recruiter around uh, CVs and interview skills. Uh, we've got one this afternoon about um, kicking your worry habit. So learning not to you know just worry about things that you can that you can change and letting go of everything that you can't. And then we noticed recently there's been a lot of chat a lot of people who are staying in role, especially the community fundraisers, are getting new additions to their roles. Suddenly they are being asked to be corporate fundraisers at the same time. And there was a couple of comments that made me realise that there's a lot of people going into that. We've got a future of that that don't realise the massive difference between those two income streams and different ways to approach it and the different ways that you work with your donors. So again, it was a case of, okay, who can we, what can we do to help this? We've got a session next week around exactly that. So we've got major players from within small, medium and large charities who do that day in day out to come on and speak about how they do it. The differences that they, they see and just kind of gently educating some people into different ways of working you know when you work with community and when you work with corporates that's next week my position i am going through all that supporting everybody else whilst going through it at the same time so we're in consultation at the moment and i am headed towards redundancy my role doesn't exist anymore so i am on the on the job hunt as well it's an interesting time to be doing that alongside probably more people than I've ever
4: had to go up against for a role. Wow. what that's, It's amazing to hear, though. I mean, just touching on a couple of things that you said there, Louise. I mean, firstly, well done on kind of applying that and getting it together. I mean, I'm sure that that group, and you're talking about the furlough fundraiser group on, on Facebook. I mean, I'm sure that group has been invaluable. And, you know, as you touched on at the start, I think the psychological impact of, Of this both in in every realm of life but particularly as a fundraiser in a a charity when you're seeing services reduce beneficiaries impacted and you can see in real life it 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 is tough so thank you for sharing that I guess the question that comes out of what you were just saying Louise is what how have you changed from going through these last few months it's like you sound like you've really applied yourself and you've you've supported other people and Maybe you were that person before, but have you changed? And and what's changed about you?
3: I think I've always been, to an extent, that person. I trained as a teacher, is is what I do. Like naturally, will try and mentor anybody who'll let me. But I think I've realised in myself that I'm. I, I need to be doing something all the time, every day. You know, it's it's having a child's been a beautiful experience, and I love her dearly there is no way I could be a stay-at-home mom there is more to me than that and just the biggest change is I never wanted to be a people manager I've I've done it briefly it wasn't my bag like I'm a doer but in this instance I am supporting other people in doing it's as close to people management as I'm probably going to get again in my career but the the motivation and the joy from other people succeeding through that group so when somebody's got an interview or that you know they've been offered a role or um you know the support from within the group or somebody's got a really difficult question that they know they're going to get asked like their group is behind them and i'm a part of that and it's you know being being part of something big it's, that's that's what we can do right now there's nothing we can't impact our own organizations this is what we do to impact the industry it's i'm really proud of the group and what it's achieved
0: yeah that sounds that sounds brilliant to be that supportive of each other when like you say everybody is going for for jobs at the moment that's amazing mm. um it's interesting you saying that you've been through different stages with this at first there was a bit of uh anger maybe at your organization for, for, for suggesting you could be on further how how are you feeling at the moment with the the redundancy chat
3: i feel sad That that's the potential future for me, uh, especially when I've been there as long as I have. So it's 14 years in June. I've been with that organisation doing various roles. I like to remind everybody I'm just in the same role for 14 years. But equally, the the only thing I can do is is find the positives in it. It's an opportunity for me to do something else and take my knowledge and skills and apply it to another organisation. Because if I didn't think like that, if I looked at the bad side of it, and that's what we try and avoid on the on the group as well, if there's, you know, no, you know we, we moderate, but we allow through everything that anybody puts up. And on occasion it is, it can have a very negative tone to it and we look at it and we discuss, okay, before we allow this through, how can we bring that person, You know, what can we do to support that person individually as well? So it's kind of part for the group, but mostly to keep me... Focus. I, I need to find the positive, otherwise it's
0: a very slippery slope. I'm, I was just going to say I can completely understand how you would feel sad if you, particularly if you've worked somewhere for that, that amount of time, 14 years is a, is a very long period of your, your career and you've dedicated time to growing the organisation. I imagine it's uh, the same for people who, who've been at organisations for a couple of years maybe, you know, that would also, that would also be sad. We, we touched on, I think, an earlier interview we don't get into fundraising for the for the cash part of our personalities and changing that is quite seismic.
3: Yeah. I can't imagine not I'm not gonna leave the sector. Despite with, you know, doing the new business stuff and the account management stuff. I could go and anybody who doesn't work in the sector, any of my friends will say, Leave it. Go and earn some money and you know, go it's time now, you know, you want a bigger house, it's things like that. And I'm like, I don't think I will ever work for a profit making organisation i can 't see how morally I can go from doing this for so long to flipping over and doing that, although never say never because
4: <laughs> <laughs> so louise I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've you know like to kind of just look a little bit ahead to the future for you personally i mean i'm sure you've learned a lot and there's been a lot of resources and i 'm sure there's roles being shared, and you know the group has been a, a great support but for, for you personally, how are you approaching? looks like it's is in your future in terms of redundancy how are you approaching that that search for a new the next opportunity
3: so as soon as the restructure was announced my instinct as a networker and that's what I do best was to start to kind of get the feelers out so I was making contact with everybody I know in the industry just saying you know like Tough times ahead. Please bear me in mind. I don't know what my future is going to be, but if you are aware of anything, equally, I was also talking to them about getting involved with the furlough group and how they could support that. So that helped. That was a bit of a worry for me. I'm hoping that all these nice things that I'm doing is going to be good karma and it's going to come. <laughs> Tell you what, though, it gives me something to talk about in an interview. It's brilliant. If I get stuck about anything else, I just start talking about the furlough group. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- that was nothing at the beginning of this. There was a lot of chat on the group about what happens at the end of this if somebody says, What did you do during furlough? Because I've just, you know, I've got my kids and I just can't make the time and I feel like I should be doing more and I'm not. And the support was brilliant. Some people were like, it's got to do what you've got to do to get through it. And if that means getting out of your pyjamas in the day, then fair play to you for even getting that far. Yeah, you know, everybody's got very different views on on how you should spend your furlough time. But uh, yeah, so I'm quite at the moment, because I've been there so long, my notice is quite lengthy it's three months so I'm not one of the panicked ones right now ask me again in two months time see how I'm feeling then but there's a lot of people who are and for me supporting them at the moment feels more important you know, I'm still doing my bit I'm still keeping my eye out and there's applications going in but I'm in a very lucky position that I'm just looking at organisations that really resonate with me in roles that really work for my lifestyle. So working from home would be very important to me. I'd like to do condensed hours, and so I'm looking for flexibility. As we go further down the line, if I don't find that, then I'm going to have to change my strategy. I'd like to hope that everyone else who's trying to get a job at the moment will have one by then. So my strategy is just kind of wait it out um, because I've kind of got the luxury of being able to do that at the moment so and hopefully all those that haven't quickly get into roles they want and and uh, yeah wishing everybody luck in the sector with that one
0: yeah sounds like you're doing more than wishing them luck you're actually properly helping so
3: it's all good karma i'm
0: sure that's been well received
4: yeah absolutely louise Thank you for coming on and, and, and sharing that with us. We appreciate it as we kind of touched on probably at the start of the introduction to this this podcast, which we'll hopefully put out next week is just came of an idea and you know, the uptake has been great. And who knows where this might go for more people that want to come on, you know, we might we might even do a few more shows. But yeah, I just want to say thank you really. And if there's anything that, that James or I can do to support the furlough group, if anyone doesn't know where the furlough fundraising group is, is it is it quite easy easy to find on, on Facebook and
3: yeah, there's a, there's a few of them. Our one is furloughed fundraising chat. Okay. So if you just uh, pop that into the search engine, you'll find us. There's 1,300 members, so that helps you, help you find us. Um, you're welcome to join, gentlemen. You don't have to be furloughed to be part of the group. We're very inclusive. Come on board and see, and you know, you're welcome to take part in any of our events or support any of our members with the challenges ahead.
4: Oh, cool, thank you. OK, well, look, I mean, Louise, it'd be interesting to maybe talk to you again in a couple of months. As we say, wish you lots of luck in, in supporting those fundraisers and also for your, for your own hunt. I'm sure it won't be long. And, and you can always talk about your experience on the Do More Good podcast, which we hope was a positive one.
3: Yeah, give me three weeks. I'll be back on telling you about this amazing job that I've
4: got. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon.
0: Thanks, Louise. Just before we go. Don't forget that if you'd like to feature on Spotlight, then head to the website, domoregood.uk forward slash Spotlight. Next week, we're talking to Kate Lee, celebrity CEO, about maintaining positivity in a crisis, dropping in on the regional managers, and who makes the tea at Alzheimer's Society. We'll speak to you then.
4: So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right with it.
0: If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good pod Instagram, at Do More Good pod Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have. But you can find all those videos on the website, DoMoreGood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at
4: DoMoreGood.uk.